is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. We are doing a part two today. So we have the same panelists as last time. We'll do a quick round of introductions again. Venia Logan. Hello, my name is Venia from sociallyconstructed.online. Armstrong Fondiam. Hello, Armstrong Fondiam here. I'm one of the members of the Kiosk community and uh, also I'm researching the academic domain. And myself, Bjork Link. Hey, everyone, good to be back with you. And we're also back with Karina Zona from Pants Community. Hi, Karina. Hi. Yeah, I'm uh, Karina Cizona, and I am the head of developer relations for Toolchain, where I lead developer relations for the Pants Build open source project. Excellent. And dear listener, if you are joining us today without listening to part one, we recommend you go back and listen to part one of this episode where we talked about the Pants community and how it's been evolving over the last 10 years. And we've been talking about some qualitative means of measuring and some culture around growing community. And today in this part two, we want to get more concrete, more hands on with what you can do with data, with understanding the community. And the first question that I would like to ask Karina, so as the DevRel person in the community, you have different stakeholders that you are talking with and reporting to who need different data points. And so what are the data points you are looking at and what are the tools you're using to satisfy your data needs? First of all, just because the past year has been spinning up a program from scratch, we're still adding tools. I would not say that we have finished that task, but I can tell you some of the things that we're using. So I mentioned last time, Savannah CRM, which we use for community CRM. We had also looked at Orbit and it just wasn't quite a fit with our needs for various reasons. We also were really excited about how responsive the developer was for Savannah and that every you know feature request we asked for was quickly dealt with. So that was certainly something that was very compelling for two projects that were really very useful. Neither of them a perfect fit but one was going to be far more flexible for getting us closer to a really good fit. And that was why we veered towards Savannah. We still occasionally consult Orbit because they're looking at different things. So occasionally you can come inside out of Orbit that just would not be at all accessible in Savannah. But then we also use Airtable to track a lot of stuff. For project tracking, we use GitHub Project Tracker. We have anonymous telemetry which is opt-in, and I forget what the implementation of that is. Obviously, stuff like Google Analytics. Oh, we also have a newsletter using Review, R-E-V-U-E, 
which has a nice Twitter integration and it has analytics for open rate and click rate. We use SurveyMonkey for our two major annual surveys as well as minor incidental ones. And that has a lot of analytics available to you. A lot of slice and dicing. We have, as I mentioned right now, we're doing the annual roadmap review. We also in summer do another community survey, which essentially is sort of a mid-year check in about, you know, because inevitably you make adjustments, right? From your roadmap, your roadmap shouldn't be something that you're absolutely glued to and cannot flex with the real world. So as we go along, we're making adjustments based on new information, new emerging needs, whatever it is. And so by the time you get to mid-year, you may have diverged a bit, or you may be asking about okay, of the stuff left, is that still the most important thing to uh, tackle right now? So it's good to have that second check-in. So we do that with SurveyMonkey. And that one we developed for the first time this summer and was a really interesting process for us. And I think kind of goes again to that discussion we had last time about a balance of quantitative and qualitative because we were really trying to ask a lot of qualitative questions. But SurveyMonkey sort of leans towards looking for a qualitative answer. It likes closed-ended answers. You could certainly do open-ended. You can do a whole lot of other field kind of stuff, but they tend to hide those answers away. You've got to search for a little bit more once you've gotten that data in. So it was not optimal in that sense. We got such great answers that were often in SurveyMonkey's hidden away of it. You had to go digging to find that, that information. So I'm not sure whether we'll use them again this year for that survey or not. We'll have to think about that some more. I do have another question for you, Trina. When you're talking about crunching your quantitative data and running a lot of these surveys, I presume you're a few surveys down the line in this process and uh, you've still got a lot of things that you need to set up and there are some really hard questions you have to go digging for. How do you tend to organize all of that data coming in. And do you think that you may need to store it for the next few years in order to compare surveys across time? And how are you handling that? Answer, not yet. I'm not looking at, are we going to need this data in 10 years? Because most of it's pretty action oriented around what do we do next? Out of the universe of so many hundreds of thousands of things that we know are useful, exciting, wanted, how do we narrow it down to the few things that we do next? So yeah, I'm not really looking at it with a, you know, 10 years from now, what are we going to look back on? Especially since we are a small nonprofit, 10 years from now, if we're doing it right, we'll be a lot bigger. In which case, a lot of that data, I think will probably just be looked upon as like no longer relevant. So I'm not saying nobody else should do it. But just because we are in such a rapid growth early stage, it doesn't really make sense to be right now focusing that far ahead when we have so much to focus on right now. As far as having stuff that we can tabulate and compare over time, I think there are some things that are important to have a sense of looking back before you look forward. So for instance, when we were developing in the summer that survey, we did look back at the winter one to get a sense of, well, okay, how much of this have we done? What do we think are important questions to ask in order to get good answers about the stuff that's left, as well as, you know, anything that's been missed or, you know, is it sort of emergent need? And so that was an interesting discussion. It was also the first time that a survey had been developed that was both trying to serve 
engineering and DevRel needs up until that point, surveying had always been focused on strictly engineering side of things. So that was an interesting process because we had overlapping questions where our interest in the answers were different, essentially. So we had to really sort of navigate how do we ask questions in a way that elicits the necessary information for both departments without essentially confronting people with an hour-long survey. You need to be able to make it accessible enough that people want to get from A all the way to Z and hit submit. So, you know, we had curiosity on a lot of topics where it was essentially like, well, I would only act on this kind of, of phrasing or we need to know about this dimension of that thing. And the other person would have a different sort of slant that they needed out of the, the topic. So that was an interesting process. And I think from that, probably we'll discuss next time whether or not to survey separately or to do that together again. I think there's certainly arguments for both ways. And it's something to consider, I think, probably for anybody is like dev relations is focused on engineers. You don't want to get too far away from the engineering department. You should stay really close, but also you do have different agenda. So what are the moments in which you work closely hand in hand and have to do the work of negotiating how to do that? And when is it in the best interest of the missions, those separate departmental missions, to pursue similar goals separately. And that's an ongoing challenge, I think, for our profession is very closely allied with engineers. And our entire interest is in understanding engineers. We should never be so far apart from them organizationally or philosophically that we lose our effectiveness on that. But you also do have a different mission from them. And so how do you reconcile those things is always an issue. So we've heard you're using a lot of different tools to get a lot of different data and a lot of your focus is action oriented. What are we going to do beyond that? What are some other ways that you are using the data or who do you report to and what do you report? Yeah, so we're a relatively small organization. I think about 12 people. So we have a CEO, a bunch of engineers and me and a board. So some of the, the reporting I do is to my own team, who are people whose primary job is to do engineering, but whose secondary job is to do DevRel. So they are close collaborators with me, but they're not my full-time staff. And one of those staff members is in fact the CEO himself. So we're reporting to each other from our various primary roles into that DevRel role. And that's a two-way street on reporting there. A lot of information we're gathering is ultimately with an eye towards needing to report something down the road to the board or to the next round of investors. Anytime you're raising money, you certainly need to be able to show, yeah, we're growing, we're performing. There's some sort of momentum and excitement happening. So a question always is a year from now or whatever it is, will we be able to show this to the investors and they'll be able to understand it? So it's like, yes, you want to collect data for our own use, but we also need to think about, we have these consumers who are not as intimately involved in that day-to-day activity and they'll need to understand that data as well. So we do think about that quite a bit. We report some stuff to the community. I wouldn't say that's primary because 
for the most part, we're trying to learn from the community rather than that being something where we have a lot of reporting responsibilities to them. Certainly, if they ask for something, I'd be really excited by the fact that they're that level of engaged. Do you mind if I ask just a follow-up question because you discussed quite a few different shareholders and stuff like that. Do you have different dashboards and reports that you provide to those individuals with completely different key performance indicators? First of all, I mean, those are all different products and I would love for them to be more integrated. It's actually a to-do is to use something like to bring more of the data together into one place. We just haven't had the time to do that. I would love that or I would love for something like Savannah or Orbit to have the kind of integrations where all of that data could be brought together in one place or chaos. I, like anybody, please do that. That is a really useful niche that needs to be filled. I yeah, went that, looking that, for tools to do that. And that was something that I could not find. And the fact that we would need to do something very custom with something like Grafana was a source of, of frustration because that's on the one hand, really useful. On the other hand, that's quite a time suck when you've got a whole lot of urgent to do's as well. So I would love for someone else to take that on. We don't generally report different information to different stakeholders just because I would hope that as a matter of integrity, that the numbers are the numbers. If there's something to report to those stakeholders, then presumably it's the same stuff to report to them. But different stakeholders have different level of interest. So not everyone is getting the same stuff because not everyone cares as deeply about everything that I'm gathering. I'm really the person who's looking at, at all of it. For a lot of other people, the whole point is as the head of DevRel, use that information to steer us on what to do. Yeah. And I do think it's a, a interesting thing that you bring up regarding the, I like to call it the last mile problem. When you think about logistics and development of delivering a package to someone's door, for instance, relatively easy to get it into the right country, relatively easy to move it into a region. It just takes a lot of legwork. But then you look at the very last mile of that package from distribution center to the person's doormat. That's like the most difficult part. And we seem to be having that issue with a lot of data integration software and data warehouses, data lakes, data structure, data flow, just so you can report what some might consider a holy grail in analytics of like the single source of truth through your business and your company. Agreed. So Karina, one of the things that I know we want to talk about is tagging in Savannah CRM. And Savannah was the tool that you used for getting, what was it, commits and issues and pull requests data or what's in Savannah? Well, Savannah has a number of integrations. What we use it for primarily are integrations of GitHub information and Slack information. I know there's integrations with stuff like Discord and Salesforce. We just don't happen to use those. But we do have a long GitHub history, obviously, and we have a slightly less long Slack history. The Slack was created a couple of years into the project after it was open sourced. One of the things that I really set out to do was we are for a community open source project. There's no particular income stream. And so we're on the free level of Slack which means that, you know, 10,000 messages limit, you know, after that they expire stuff. So there was a very limited history. And I was looking at the fact that the whole role here is to try to increase that activity, which meant that with every passing month, that window was getting shorter and shorter. And so my data was getting 
less robust with each passing month. And so what I wanted to do was actually get all the past Slack data. So what we did was we upgraded for a moment. And with the help of the developer Savannah, we upgraded just long enough to get a full export of the entire past history and then import that permanently into Savannah. Which is why, for instance, when I said uh, on the last episode that we know that we have had a very sustained um, response time of about 10 minutes in GitHub and Slack, it's because we have all of that many years of data now in there. And that was the number it came up with. And it's really nice to be able to see growth metrics where you can look at what's happening right now and really be able to see, for instance, the contrast in the movement of graphs today versus a year ago or five years ago, or to see that sort of long span of relatively stable levels and to suddenly see the numbers and the the trajectory of the lines shift is some days that's really fun. So that's been something that we really didn't feel like we had a full accurate picture until we could get that back data. And that was a wonderful gift to be able to do at Really, I think it ended up costing us a couple hundred dollars altogether, especially because a pants build is a nonprofit. They um, threw in a little extra discount for us on that. So that was well worth the undertaking. And it was a slightly complicated undertaking, but the wealth of additional information and complete information and, and longevity all made it very worthwhile. And that was the first time I really felt like I could stand behind numbers where you could really say like, yes, definitely. We know that this is not biased by, for instance, messages having expired last month, et cetera. We could really be confident that what we're seeing is genuinely reflective of something. So that was also very important to me. That goes back to a point that we hear a lot from people who are looking at metrics is that you want to have that history and that baseline to see, are we making changes? How is the community responding? How are we growing or not growing? And so having the baseline, that history, a lot of times it just start collecting data as early as you can, even if you don't quite know what to do with it yet. But that's really great to hear that you found a way to also go back and get historical data from Slack. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, The open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the Sustain community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. We literally entered a time machine on that, and I'm so grateful that we were able to do that. We're obviously in an unusual position of having so much back history that was lurking out there. It could have been something that was, say, hidden in some sort of internal corporate system that would not be accessible or a much newer project wouldn't have access. But I absolutely agree that start tracking your data as early as possible, even when it seems like everything is too small to matter, because you want to see the growth from really small to something else. Even when those numbers are shifting from, you know, five members to 10 members, you just doubled your growth. 
you should get to see that line change and be excited by that and be wondering what happened for us to double growth. So absolutely start very early and be able to benefit from getting a picture of your history and being able to notice, especially there were some places where I saw way in the back history, various bumps and things in the numbers. And I asked, so tell me about that period in time. What was going on? Because maybe there's something to learn from that. What on earth happened in that moment? So one day you may very well care about what were those shifts? Why did we suddenly flatten out? Why did we suddenly get just a exciting spike happen? Was it a fluke or was that something to learn from? Something to apply again? So what is this tagging that you mentioned? So Savannah has tagging that you could do things like add keywords so that if it notices a particular word come up, it'll automatically tag that comment or you can manually add tags to comments. So those comments for us in this case are comments on Slack or comments on an issue in GitHub. Some of the default ones it has are things like thankful. So you can see who's asking a question or who's grateful for the answer, et cetera. That really isn't really what I was looking for. I use it for a whole lot of things. One is to understand what are people using, which is more of a technical question. But for instance, we recently added support for Java, Scala, and Go. So being able to go to Savannah and find people who had previously mentioned that their code base includes one of those languages meant that those were people we could immediately go to and say, look, we're trying to drop a spec. You're a stakeholder. Can we talk? So that was really valuable. And that was part of that long-term data was, you know, some of those comments that happened six months or a year ago, we would not have been able to see them if we hadn't done that import of the older data. I think that's very interesting using the tagging systems to store a lot of comments. Are you using those tags in order to bring up and study those comments on a customer sentiment? What did they actually mean? How was it being used kind of level? No, first of all, I'm not a big fan of sentiment analysis. I've seen too many of them really misjudge sentiment. Also, a sentiment of a sentence isn't necessarily the sentiment in someone's actual brain. So I'm reluctant to try to read minds and would rather get facts and then ask people questions. So I don't look for tools that are doing, say, ML on them. If we wanted something really big picture, maybe, but we already had the answer to, is our community generally really happy? Yes, we don't have that kind of question. So first of all, it's storing every comment, every single comment on GitHub, every single public comment on Slack, it doesn't store, say, DMs, stuff like that. I don't even think that the Slack API gives access to the DMs as far as I know. I'm not aware of that. But so it's strictly stuff that's publicly on the record anyway. And then individual comments may or may not have a tag added to them. So it's not used to store comments. It's used to add meta information to what's already there. And so a lot of that I did manually. Some of it you can do automatically. But for instance, it doesn't support regex. So if someone mentions a version of Pants 1, there's a whole lot of versions out there. There's no easy way to do that keyword searching. And also just because someone mentions Pants 1 doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're using today. So again, I don't want to leap to false conclusions. I'd rather read the actual sentence and see whether they said, today we use version whatever. So I do have some of that information, but a lot of what I use it for is I 
was so thrilled with the Slack import. One of the things I did was I started reading every single comment now that we had every single comment to get a big picture understanding of our community, of what people care about. What are they working on? What are they doing? What is their sentiment, my impression at least, of their sentiment? And that's why I do feel very confident that we have a really happy community because I see that every single day in the comments, people just spontaneously kind of being in love with the fact that they get a responsiveness that they're just completely unaccustomed to seeing in open source. For instance, you know, like that kind of thing is really a testimonial. Don't particularly feel a need to have ML validate that for me. On the other hand, I do wish it had regex support. I probably should talk to Michael about that because certainly there are things where you would like to be able to clump together data better. Some of the things that I look for are what kind of tools they expressed interest in being able to support in the future. Things that they use today that aren't supported by pants, but maybe could be. Maybe in the future we'd want to be. So it's the same way that, for instance, we were able to go back and look for those Go, Scala, and Java users to be able to say like, you know, oh, this person is using some other tool. We've noticed that there's actually at this point quite a few people using this tool. Maybe it's time to talk about a proposal to formally support it. JavaScript is an example of a language that we're really interested in supporting, but JavaScript is a system that already has a lot of build systems, build tooling, and is very fragmented. So our big question isn't, should we support JavaScript? Because the answer to that is yes. The big question is, how? Tell us exactly the use case, the portion of it, which tools you work with. Like we have to figure out which narrow portion of that vast community it makes sense to integrate with pants because most of it probably doesn't. But we really want to make sure that we're serving use cases today that exist and are urgent and essentially making good choices on that because it's really easy to get way too ambitious on that in a way that just does not make sense. So identifying what people are doing is really important. Another thing is that I use it for much more subjective stuff where I'm just assessing, you know what, this person appears to have been using pants for quite a while. They seem really happy. They seem very eager to give sort of testimonial type of feedback openly in the public. So I mark them for, hey, let's ask them for a case study or let's ask them for a testimonial. Let's ask them to put their company on the who uses pants page, which was something I created so that people can really see their experience represented and also can see, oh, okay, that kind of use case, that's very similar to our use case and that's working out well for them. Great. Okay. Now we know this is something to look much closer at. So those kinds of things are some of the ways that I use the tagging to identify for me, essentially future to-dos to be able to pull out perspective to-dos either for us on the developer relations side or on the engineering side and to be able to have a sense of essentially where our community is today with the understanding of that doesn't necessarily mean that's the only place it should be tomorrow. Just because these are the tools that folks are using today, you know, you have to, to weigh, does that mean that we've excluded people who use other tools? Or does that mean that these are tools that are really particularly well suited for being complementary with pants? So it gives you, essentially, it gives you questions to ask yourself or your team about like, okay, we're seeing something going on here, period. So Karina, you have a lot of experience. Sounds like you really have a good handle on the community and you understand the health of it. You, you use a lot of tools to 
not just have a gut feeling, but also have data to back that up. What is some advice or that you would give to other DevRels who want to understand the health of their communities and work towards making them more healthy? I think you absolutely have to have your intimate every day with the discussions going on in your community. Even if you have a full-time community manager who's in charge of reading every single thing on your forums and, and chats and somebody is in charge of triaging all the issues, try to read as much of that as possible anyway, because that is your really your riches of information that is unsolicited where no one is trying to give you the right answer. No one's trying to please you. They are, in fact, some of those people are at their most stressed out. That is your best opportunity to really hear what they're thinking about, what they care about, and to be intervening as quickly as possible on anything that is a stress point for them, whether that be conversationally with them or that be a conversation with the engineering team about changes that need to be made or issues that need a closer look, whatever. One way or another, no matter how high you are up on the ladder, you should be keeping a really close eye on the conversations because that is the truest information you can get. And it's the hardest to analyze, but it is the source of the most immediate and accurate feedback that you can hope to get. Thank you. That's really good. Yeah, I cannot echo that enough that if you're going to be a community manager and if you're going to be not a community manager looking at the actual ROI of a community and whether or not you should continue investing in it. It's not enough to just look at the abstracted data that's coming through your community manager. You have to get into it at least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as you get more responsibilities that are removed from that, it becomes harder and harder to spend that quality time in there. But it's such a worthwhile investment to spend that time. And when you're doing well, it's also really rewarding to read that stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to make it sound like just a burden. I mean, it's such a pleasure to get to read the comments in our community because they are so enthusiastic and they're full of such good ideas because we liberate them to please, please tell us your ideas. And so we get the benefit of them constantly. And so I find it very energizing to read that stuff. And I would not want to get so far away from it that I don't have any time left in the day to read that stuff. But yeah, it's such a rich place. And certainly when you start having problems, it's going to subtly emerge there first. So keeping a close eye out is how you keep from having a huge blow up happen. So we are at the end of our time again. We covered a lot. And thank you so much, Karina, for someone who would like to get in touch with you or follow you online, where can they find you? On the work-related side, you can find me through our Twitter feed, PantsBuild. Our Slack is pantsbuild.slack.com or our website, pantsbuild.org or GitHub, which is github.com slash pantsbuild. On the personal side, the best place to find me unquestionably is on Twitter. I'm on there every day, full of opinions and tips and puppy insights. So all of those things are reasons to come say hi to me on Twitter. And if you want to hear it all about pants, please do come to the Slack and come say hi there as well. I would love to talk to you about that. As I mentioned last time, if it's not the right fit for you today, but it seems intriguing, the most useful thing you can do is come and tell us what it would take to fill that gap between where we are today and where you would need it to be. Because 
that's information we're very eager to hear. So come have a conversation with us. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, just keep in mind that right down below this in the show notes, you'll be able to find a large majority of those links. Awesome. Well, we always like to round off our episodes with a value add. And that is something that brought value, joy, or meaning to our life. And this is part two of our episode. So let's try to find something different because we'll release this two weeks apart. My value add for today is designing and building a custom home. It's something that I have wanted to do since I was a little boy. And we just went through the process of having some blueprints and how the room layout is and where the doors are and the windows and all that is, is done. And we just met with the builder today to talk about specifications and requirements. And soon we'll get a budget and then we can hopefully get the financing and build a house this year. So I'm super excited. That is something that brings me a lot of joy right now. That is huge. That's a really big tick on that life well lived list. I am in awe and also quite jealous. That's incredible. Congratulations. Well, thank you. My mind is a little bit less substantial and larger than length, but Recently, at the time of this recording, we took a little bit of a break from two book clubs that I really enjoy. And I'm really excited because here in the next week, it's going to be kicking up again. So I get to go back to talking and nerding out with a bunch of people about a variety of different community management tactics and also sci-fi. I'll be there. I already joined. It'll be fun. Huzzah. Karina, what's your value add today? So last time I talked about, you know, the like everybody else, the pandemic has certainly been hard on me. And one of the things that I've done about that is get a dog who is an absolute delight. But I'm surprised that the pandemic in a way brought something really good in my life in that it inspired various people to reach out or me to reach out to various people that just, you know, we'd fallen out of touch for one reason or another. And the conversations with people that you've previously loved spending time with and just haven't done that in a few years, getting the opportunity to do that again, it's odd how the pandemic's provided an excuse in a way that we just didn't make that time before and have had just so many lovely conversations as a result. And I'm not at all grateful for the pandemic, but I'm grateful that very good, joyful thing has accidentally come out of it. Yeah. So my today is the beauty of the family. When you see a young, a new generation growing up and you try to reflect on where you're coming from, you see the past generation, you just imagine how you were a little kids and then you see kids running around you, it gives you a very good perspective of life. So that really gives me the joy of moving on. Excellent. So it is time to say thank you. Thank you again, Karina, for joining us today. And thank you for having me. And thank you, Vinya and Armstrong, for being panelists again today. Yeah, really happy. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. 
To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.